You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. I am your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with my cohort, Doc, Dr. Esteban. He didn't answer because he's not here yet. We are doing a special interview today, not in the studio, not in the Petri dish of COVID, but instead we're actually doing a whole interview uh, through Zoom. And our guests today are going to be, and actually are already, Sean Gilday and Rachel Hill of Blue Raven Entertainment. Say hola, you two. Hola. Hello. That's right. And I actually asked you to say hola, you too, but you said, I see you guys are ad-libbing, so go ahead. But uh, we will be right back with them. Normally our engineer is Ashley Veltner. Uh, she's in Germany dealing with this. Want everybody to make sure you're going to musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook, also TikTok. But uh, on the other three, it's at musicbiz101wp. On TikTok, I'm Professor David Kirk Philp. And I'm awesome. I'm viral. Follow this podcast, which you're probably listening to. It's on iTunes. It is on SoundCloud. We are going to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss. There's only one singular place to go for your band's business management, not at somebody else's band's business management. I'm talking to you. Your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa. Com when you're ready. And we want to give thanks. Um, Sean and Rachel, when I point to you like that, I want you to say, oi, okay? I can't see you pointing. You're just a half a head to me. Okay. There we go. There we there go. You go. Wow. Say it. Ready? All right. So here it goes. So we're going to give thanks. Let's see. Our thanks also go out to Christine. Oi. They a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped many professionals at William Patterson the University and also professionals of other lines of work as well manage their investments, plan out for their retirement. When you, I'm talking about you, when you are thinking of building a bridge to your financial future, think about the Forefront Group and go to christine.oyvay at forefront.com and leave the last oy off for savings. Don't forget... William Patterson, the university is ranked one of the best in the, in the world in music business and managing your band's seventh edition. That just may happen. So uh, Sean and Rachel, thank you again for being with us. We appreciate it. Why don't to start, um, you guys each, we've had you on the show twice before, so I don't, I don't want to go through the whole, what do you do for a living? Give us your life history, but tell us sort of a, in a nutshell, uh, where Blue Raven has been the last couple of years, because I think it's been about three years since we had you on. Uh, what changes, uh, what the evolution of Blue Raven has been over the last three years, because you've had some new partners come on. And then uh, let's then get into the live business, uh, how the pandemic is affecting you personally and the live business overall. So why don't we go now? Mm-hmm. You want to take it, Rach? You want me to? Yeah, you could start. I'll chime in. All right. So, I mean, uh, in the last three years, Rachel Hill, who started out as my assistant back in the day, has become a a full partner in the business. So we're now partners. Um, It seems like everybody we hire comes from William Patterson. I don't know why that is, but maybe it's because you keep pushing people on me. But anyway, they're good people. So, Uh, But uh, in the last three years, uh, the business has really taken off up until a few weeks ago. But uh, this year we were on pace to double um, our, our, our business over, over last, last year. And uh, 
We also opened an office in Chicago in the last two years, and we have an office down in Maryland. Um, and we were working on an office in Florida. Um, so yeah, a lot of things got put on hold, but yeah, that's pretty much what we've been up to. We've been very, very busy and uh, are still busy just moving shows. Rachel, anything? How did you become a partner, Rachel? What, what did that mean? Uh, buying into the business. And so now I own a percentage of the company. Um, and really it's just a way for, you know, me to kind of take over the role when Sean's ready to slow down a little bit, which I don't know whenever that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Maybe now's a good <laughs> I, I I quit. No, no. Um, yeah, and also just hiring new employees. We added a marketing director to the company. We added an art uh, director to the company. So now we have full-time art staff that's doing bagos and tour posters and custom assets for all of our shows. So I feel like uh, from a branding standpoint, we've definitely elevated our game in terms of artwork, um, which I think is really important, you know, when you're trying to uh, grow the company. I mean, I think that it's definitely elevated what we're doing as a whole. Having we also added a new assistant for me, Christina Roof. Or we she call her two. So, she was so excited for a week and then the whole industry just. <laughs> she literally, I think possibly it's her fault because she was not in the industry, got hired by us, and within a week the entire industry was collapsed. So collapsed, yeah. great job we, there. We kind of blame her for this whole thing, actually. I can see, and I think Trump brought that up in a news conference yesterday. He blamed Christina Roof for this whole. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, any, any, anybody he can blame is good. <laughs> right. So, um, so things had been going really well. So what had improved so much over the last couple of years in your business? What was growing? What was the, were the larger? And I should let people know, by the way, that you guys are generally, you are agents for, for artists and you are, um, and a lot of your business, well, you tell us what a lot of your business is and how the business has been growing. So people understand that part. Yeah, I think, I, I think prior to, you know, the last few years, my style personally has been wild, the Wild West. It's just been like, you know, I'm great at sales and I, I'm great at hiring good people. And with those two things, I was able to sort of um, live through any mistakes I might make or that we might make because we were so good and so proficient at booking and booking, you know, getting shows and, and um, also with the surrounding myself with good people, that was really, I never really had to think about like, wow, what's a business plan or let me get this, you know, really thought out on how we're going to move forward. And in the last two or three years, I really took that to heart. I, I, I got serious about planning out um, for instance, we, we never, I never got reports, weekly reports of like what we were selling. We just sold and assumed it's good enough. And if it felt like it wasn't, we pushed harder. But in the last two or three years, we have got serious about um, recording every show. So we have a board. It's like a dry erase board that we put all the shows on. And uh, recently we had to add a second board. And then after that, we had to add a bigger board because we've been booking so many shows but you know when you keep track of things and you do things more efficiently and proficiently um it tends to move the needle and that's really what has happened for us what made you decide to I, you, in your words you said take it more seriously and it's not like you didn't take the business seriously but this part of the business the planning the we'll call it the administrative part the non-sales stuff what um, was maybe like the inciting incident that, that led you to start doing these new types of uh, administration in your business? You know, I, I think it's, you know, for me, I personally, I think it's maybe an age thing. I just got to a point where I was like, uh, it's better to work smarter, not harder. And I use the analogy uh, of uh, another company I used to have where, you know, I hired somebody on and they were, um, they were folding shirts and they were grabbing the shirt off the end of a dryer because we did merchandise like t-shirts and they were walking it like five steps over to this table. 
And I just let them do it for a day. And by the end of the day, they must have walked 10 miles. And at the end of the day, I just grabbed the table that they were using, which had wheels on it, and just shuffled it over five feet right next to the dryer. And this was a major epiphany for this person. It was like, oh, my God, why didn't I think of that? And I guess it's sort of that is an analogy for where I've come to in the business, like having good information and having good, um, you know, data in front of me makes me more efficient and makes my job actually easier. It's easier now for me to do a lot more business than when I wasn't doing as much business. Interesting. Okay. A quick thing about, um, cause we had a, an agent on from, from uh, Texas named Michael Kelly, not too long ago. And we were talk, just talking about the agent uh, license that you guys need for New Jersey. How do you get the license to be an agent? And how often do you need to renew that? Is that something you need to renew every year? And how much does that cost? Go ahead, Rach. Yeah, so I pretty much deal with this. Um, so we are licensed and bonded. Uh, there's a particular bond company that we go through in New Jersey. Um, and then for the license, it's you have to take a test. It's a one-time test. And as soon as you pass, then all you have to do is just pay the renewal fee on an annual basis. And I think it's a $25 per agent renewal fee per year um, and then the agency fee I think is like 150 um, but once you pass the test you're basically in you just have to make sure you keep up with the renewal it's not like you have to keep taking the test over and over again but um, essentially what we are we act as is an employment agency you know we have bands that we procure work for um, and so this is all done through the New Jersey uh, Consumer Affairs Office down in North Okay, and the test that you took, was that online? No, no, you have to physically drive to the office down in Newark and it's a, a handwritten test. Might it be online a, now. Yeah, it could be online now, yeah. I mean, oh, okay. that, this was eight years ago, nine years ago when I took it. Oh no, well, Jay in our office is an agent. and he oh, I'm, just, I'm just making the point that after all that's going on now, they may actually be uh, online. Yeah. The less contact, better. And what, what, was, what is on the test? What kind of information? What do you need to know? And how long is it that you remember? Yeah. It wasn't anything too complicated. I mean, the booklet that they send you is, is a, it's pretty substantial information, but what the test was wasn't really even half of what you were There's studying. There's some basic math on there. Like, you know, ask you a question like, you know, if you get paid $10,000 for a show and your commission is 10%, how much is your commission? Yeah, like some of it's kind of a little bit elementary, but other stuff is like knowing a little bit of the regulations, you know, but basic, real basic stuff. Interesting. Okay. All right. Um, and then uh, finally, before we start talking about kind of where the business has gone over the last, really the last two, three weeks, uh, tell us uh, about your roster of artists and um, what type of artists and why you're going in that, have gone in that direction and, that's the end of my question there. Tell us. Go ahead, Rach. So uh, when we hired on uh, the agent from Chicago and started our office out there, he had an existing roster of clients that he brought over to us. Um, so now we exclusively represent uh, John Waite, who had a big career with the babies and bad English. Missing You was his huge hit in the early 90s. Um, also, we represent Stephen Bishop, who was a 70s singer-songwriter, kind of yacht rock, easy listening, on and on. Uh, and he did a bunch of songwriting hits for people as well. Um, we've been doing some Ladies 80s Nights with Tiffany. Uh, she had that song. Um, I think we're alone now. Alone now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you have a good um, voice. That was yeah. actually a Tommy James song, but she redid it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Actually, could have been was her big ballad. Oh, yeah? Yeah, 1984, 85, I want to say. Well, I assume you spent a lot of time in the shopping malls. <laughs> I was there with Debbie Gibson, Tiffany, and me. We were all hanging together. Yeah. Shit. For anybody who doesn't know what that reference is, it's back in the day, there used to actually be music tours in shopping malls. Uh, you know, it, would be, it really just would be like a single person singing to a backing track type thing, but yeah. Well, and I thought the music video for I Think We're Alone Now was actually shot in a shopping mall, if I remember correctly. It could be. Mm. Um, 
uh, who else? Where well, did plus, I stop? We, okay. plus we represent, you know, 40 to 50 of the best tributes in the world and tribute artists right now. And as has been for the last, since we've been in business 12 years, um, have been huge really in the last five has been just huge. And, yeah. um, you know, our Fleetwood Mac tribute band Tusk is the number one Fleetwood Mac tribute in the world. They do uh, close to a million dollars a year in business. Um, so yeah, that's a big piece of our business. Mm -hmm. Right. Why, why do you think trivia acts have grown so much, especially in the last five years? I think nostalgia. I think the people that uh, are listening to uh, that music are coming out to see a tribute band. It's a comfortable environment for them. The people that are, say, like 40 to like 70 don't really want to go and stand somewhere or be in a big stadium so they can come hear a band recreate the hits of an artist that they love. Uh, and and sit in a nice comfortable environment in a really nice 500 1000 1500 seat theater um and uh just sort of really enjoy their time it's kind of taking the place of i think movies really that's what people yeah. do now they go to these you know theaters every theater every town has a theater and they've been kind of you know redone you know they've been beautified um, and it makes a lot of sense because a, a theater in a night in a downtown area just revitalizes the downtown area. The restaurants benefit from it, stores benefit from it, the town benefits through parking and other fees. Um, so it's it's been working really well. Yeah, and I think to add to that, um, you know, some of the tribute artists that we have, obviously the the artists that they're tributing to maybe is deceased or maybe they're not touring anymore or maybe the version of the tour that is out there is not the original members you know so i think that goes into play too and simply just from a price standpoint um i mean i look at tickets sometimes and i'm like well 300 dollars to go stand in the nosebleed somewhere just when i could go spend 30 dollars or 40 dollars or 50 dollars and you know, get a good show and a, a good seat. And like Sean said, not have the hassle of parking and, you know, going to a big stadium and being in a huge crowd with a ton of people. And I think all that goes into play too. And some of these tributes are, are really good. I mean, amazingly good. Um, you know, so. Now let's then talk about the next step is, is sort of uh, the venues in which you are booking your acts for. I know certain ones. Um, well, t tell us the different venues and not just like say casino, but how many seats are in these casinos or the different theaters or festivals that people are, uh, that you're booking for these bands? Um, well, we don't really do a ton of casinos. Um, mainly what we're booking is theaters and PACs, which is performing arts centers. So just to focus in on New Jersey, because that's where we're all from. Um, we do shows at the Morristown, Mayo Pack, uh, Newton Theater, Bergen Pack, NJ Pack, Lavoie Theater in South Jersey, Count Basie in Red Bank. Um, so yeah, I mean, the theaters are all ranging from like 500 to 1500 seats. Normally. Yeah, we kind of specialize in sort of like an experience where the people are going into a theater and are seeing a show that's like, the pinnacle of the tribute world, like a very high-end tribute. And we put them in like the best theaters. And the reason we do theaters more than say, like um, a, let's say a club or, or a casino is that <clears throat> the theater has a really great experience. Whereas a lot of times you go to a casino, a lot of the people that are there are getting their tickets for free or comp. So that's not as serious. They're not paying attention as well. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of distractions in the area. Um, we're really trying to focus in on the experience of really hearing the music um, and, 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 and hearing it in a way that, you know, maybe you haven't heard it since you were a kid. You know, I mean, the, the, the bands we have are just, I mean, it's unbelievable. The, 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 the sound quality, for instance, our Fleetwood Mac Tusk has uh, over 2 million views on their video they did of the chain and it's viral all over the world. We get comments every single day. Interesting. That's cool. That's really good. All right. Well, 
knowing that, so we all have some good background in, in what you do and, and uh, in the live business. So let's talk about how the pandemic itself, the COVID-19, how it's affected you and your business specifically. And then um, I think it'd be cool if we went a little bit bigger at how it may affect going forward, uh, booking shows, venue setup, and actually the fan experience as well. So um, one thing going forward, so let's say we're getting out of this. Uh, I know uh, just yesterday, Trump extended the, uh, you know, the, the the length of time that he wants people to be uh, you know, separate from each other till April 30th, which means, you know, this is still going to go on a little beyond that. But um, the venue experience, let's say we're finally out of this and, and I don't know when that will be. And maybe you guys have some guesses since you're still booking replacement shows for what you've canceled. Can you see venues uh, taking the temperature of fans when they walk in? Um, let, let me start there. Then I have some follow-up questions about that itself. So, I think that like, I mean, I, I like to be optimistic, but I mean, I think our industry will cover a lot slower than other industries. I think people will immediately go back out to eating out and things like that. But I think getting comfortable with group gatherings will be a difficult one for people. I think where we personally, our company will benefit is that we do a lot of 250 seat to a thousand seat rooms. And I think people will gradually work their way back into that atmosphere quicker than say a stadium. Um, so I, I do think there's going to be, you know, some benefit to the position that we're in. Um, <clears throat> I think it's going to be a while. I think, um, I think we're moving everything in April and I think we're going to move all of May or that's what we're working on this week and next week and the week after. And then I think probably June goes away too. I think hopefully we could do something in July and August, but falls really like when I think we'll be not back to normal, but moving in a direction, getting towards normal. Um, there's a lot of scenarios that run through my head, you know, um, the virus could go away and come back. I mean, they definitely need to find, um, I don't want to say a cure, but like, you know, uh, at least an antidote for it. Um, yeah, I mean, Rach, you want to add to that? I mean, because I, I, I would also talk about, like, how it affected us and how immediate that was. But go ahead, Rach, if you have anything to add. Yeah, I mean, uh, some uh, client of ours said it, I think said it best. It's like playing poker, but you don't know what your cards are. So our life the last two weeks has been rescheduling shows into the future um, and not knowing if the shows are actually going to happen then um so everything we've been rescheduling i mean safely has moved into september october november um we've still been booking some new shows which has given us all a sense of normalcy and a glimmer of hope but you know for the most part for the most part people are just focused on you know immediate fires but I think everyone's nervous because the timeline is so ambiguous and not just from our standpoint, but a lot of these theaters that we work with are nervous about keep being able to keep the doors open if shows don't start playing soon. Um, you know, I think with sports and stuff being canceled, uh, there's gonna be less options for people uh, to go to. Um, once things do kind of normalize. So I think the concert industry is going to come back stronger. Um, that's our hope. Um, you know, people are going to get tired of being cooped up. That's for sure. We're on week two or three. I'm, uh, I haven't minded it so far, but because the weather at least is nice. So we've been able to get outside. But um, yeah. Then let's talk about, okay, so when, once you decided, okay, we need to restart rescheduling shows, um, was it suddenly a race? Because now you're thinking everybody else is rescheduling shows. We have to do this now, this second, because uh, there's already stuff booked for the fall anyway. And now we're trying to squeeze into whatever dates are available and be maybe the third hold instead of the eighth hold if we wait one more day, that kind of thing. How did that whole process work for you guys? Well, yeah, I mean, 
it, it was for us, as far as like the business, it was instantaneous. It was like overnight early in the day, um, South by Southwest came out and canceled. And then instantly it was like uh, dominoes falling. So we knew immediately all of us, the whole industry knew at the same moment, it's, it's over for us for the next, whatever amount of time. And um, so uh, it's interesting, you know, I, 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 I could calculate how instant it was and how much we lost financially instantly. Um, and for me, it seemed like complete ruin at that moment. And um, I, I, I left the office and I stopped at a gas station and I talked to other people and people were like, oh, it's not affecting us at all. Like other businesses, I was like, man, you, you guys, you don't have any idea what's coming down the pike. And they just were, people were actually clueless for another week at least. And it was really interesting to see that because we already knew in the music business, like this is like, you know, completely devastating. So um, immediately we, we took the idea that, yeah, we're going to jump on top of things and try to get things moved and not be the seventh or eighth hold. Um, we, I really don't like to be a second hold almost ever. I keep finagling and moving things around and trying to figure things out so that I can instantly, um, you know, book yeah, the show, confirm it on the spot. So one of the things that I did right away was I went to our clients and, uh, or all of us went to our clients and we said, look, we have to move this. And people that were in April or at least early April and March understood, yeah, this has to be moved. As soon as you started talking end of April into May, people were like, well, we don't want to move. And I said, all right, let's not move it right now, but let's, let's pick a date and hold that date so that we'll have the date on hold if it does need to be moved. Me knowing full well, all of May's gone at that point and probably June. And it's just a matter of everybody else mentally catching up with the place that I was at. Um, you know, because this was, isn't my first rodeo. I had been through a flood in 99 and lost my entire shop, all my equipment when I did merchandising. We still have a merchandise company, by the way, but um, I actually did all the printing and everything and went through that experience. And then at 9-11, you know, many of us were affected. My company, we did a lot of business on Wall Street. And so my business went away for a year, like, you know, instantly as well. So I've been through this a couple of times. So, you know, I, I knew that this wasn't going to just be like, hey, a couple of weeks and we'll be back on track. It, I just knew that that wasn't the case. And, um, you know, we, we have a long term plan to stay alive and healthy, metaphorically, physically and business wise. Um, and we're going to stick to that plan. And um everybody that's out there should do the same thing. You know, don't get caught up and this is going to be over in two weeks and also don't get caught up and it's never going to be over. It's going to be over. We've gotten through, you know, our country in specifically is super resilient. So, and um, we'll get over it, but it's going to take some time and it's going to take a lot of hard work. So today is March 29, March 30th. How far now, what is the, I want to say, closest show that you have booked to today? And how confident are you of that show taking place? We still have stuff left in May, but May's going yeah. away. And I think all of June's going away. Mm -hmm. So that, are, are you, how far now, how far out then are you booking? You know, because cause are you looking in November and you're like, November's, let's say I'm looking at, um, South Orange Pack, you know, or, or, you know, some various venues were in Indiana or wherever. And you're fine. And, and the other part is you have parts of the country where you guys are booking that are behind New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, we'll say. Um, so are you finding, are you thinking, okay, I could probably do New Jersey for September, but if it's Indiana, I probably need to wait till November or something. Are, are you thinking like that as well? Yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple things that are happening. Um, it's a little bit like what Sean said. It's like, we have the foresight to know, or think we know that all of May needs to move. Probably all of June needs to move. But the story is ever evolving on a daily basis. And it's really convincing the buyer that 
this is the new reality. I think people want to hold on to hope. You know, I have some shows in May where I want to say, hey, we need to move this. And they're like, we're just going to sit tight for now. And I'm like, okay. And like Sean said, let's pick a new date. So at least we have it. So then when you realize we're going to have to move it, we already have a new date to go to. Um, the second that's been interesting is, you know, like a John Waite, for instance, all of his dates need to be routed. And we have, you know, four or five dates all confirmed together. So it's like being able to shuffle an entire tour or an entire block of dates and trying to keep them together and find another place that we could land it has been interesting. But people, I will say, have been working really well together, have been super understanding. You know, we've gotten multiple buyers who were even competitor buyers, like on the same email thread together and say, you know, so-and-so meet so-and-so. We all have a John Waite date happening together. Can we all look at January 2021 and figure out, you know, a block of dates that we could all kind of take, whether they end up being in the same order or not, but can we're trying our best to keep everything kind of in place. And for the, for the most part, we've been able to successfully do that, but that's where it kind of does get a little tricky um, in terms of the rescheduling. We have a list running right now of people that have been nasty to us. <laughs> it's a small list. I mean, when you consider that of what's going on, there are, you know, 99.9% .9 of the people are being absolutely fantastic. When we can help anybody, we're trying to, even like moving dates in like October, November type frame, we're moving some dates for people who need to move a big national act and only have one option. So yeah. we're all trying to help each other. But as this whole thing happened, we had one client that was a theater down in Florida. And we had one of the band members in Tusk was on the, in the airport getting ready to get on the plane. And we got a hold of the, the one, the other venues and they were all canceling and just one venue didn't, we couldn't get a hold of them. And I had to make the decision not to send the band because I figured like they get down to Florida, what if they can't get back? I don't know what the environment is. It's not worth it for, you know, one show and the next day we got on the phone with that guy and he's like just started cursing and screaming and are you kidding me what's wrong with you people this is fake news like in florida right what we knew uh in new jersey was sort of um a little bit faster than what they knew in florida these people were in florida and we're still thinking this is just like some kind of evil fake news thing going on and so he was under the impression this wasn't reality and that we were just buying into it. And, and, and I, I, we were actually, our whole staff was in a meeting as this guy called and I opened my mouth to like give the guy a piece of my mind and every single person in the meeting just went off on the guy. And uh, you know, we just, you know, it was a very bad moment, but we just laid this guy out and just said, you know, you're not a good person. I told him, I said, you're not a good person. You're not a good person if the only thing you're worried about is losing a show and you're expecting people to put themselves at risk to do that. We're not going to do that. So He literally said if the band can't fly, they should be in their cars driving to Florida right now. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So maybe uh, it's not worth dealing with that type of person. No, but we made a, a short list on we, that we're right. keeping of the people that weren't very nice and we're, we're just not going to work with them. That's the yeah. great thing about doing what we do and having our own business, we could decide who we want to work with and who we don't want to work with. And um, I, I'm really enjoying seeing the character of good people at this time. And trust me, there's a lot of character out there. There's a lot of people who are being brave and strong and, and everything and, and um, are inspiring. And, and that's, that's who we're looking at. And those venues and those people and those bands that we work with that are, being fantastic about things are ones that we're going to work just that much harder for when all this stuff calms down. You mentioned John Waite. Does he live in the United States? So you don't have to worry about any issues of him coming over from Europe. Yeah, he's, he lives in LA. Um, and all of the rest of his band is uh, LA. They're all in the States. So yeah, we don't have to worry about international travel, but you know, a guy like that needs, 
multiple shows in order to, you know, make it worth his while. So we need to try and our, our best to keep the dates together. Interesting. Um, we had Jonathan Kane on our show a year or so ago, who was also in the babies with John Waite. He's the keyboard player for Journey. And um, they, they, they had a very interesting relationship. They were also in Bad English together in yeah. 1989. And they had, they, those two had pretty much a falling out because John Waite's manager managed Bad English. And they had real issues with merch and they had real issues with um, the people who their driver was high and uh, they're driving on snowy roads. This was all in, in John Waite, um, in Jonathan Cain's book. And then he told us about it, but um, he ended up having some real issues in, in the end with John Waite. And I'm curious, uh, you don't know the answer, I'm sure, but uh, if uh, those two ever reconciled. No, they, they will never, they just, John yeah. will not even, People have offered big money to have the babies get back together and, and he will not even consider it. I don't know exactly. Like that's the most information I got, what you just told me about what exactly went down. And I'm sure there's two sides to every story. And, you know, John's a lead singer and I'm sure that at times he could be difficult. But let me tell you something. Our experience with John has been that he's a pretty reasonable guy. And, um, you know, the other part of John is John's one of the, got one of those like magical voices. He's, he's just got one of those, you know, gifts from wherever. And um, so big voice, you get to make decisions, I guess. And sometimes people <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah. You can take yeah. your football and go home. Um, <clears throat> and then, okay. So uh, where I wanted to go. So we, we were talking about, so we kind of go, do you see venues, because uh, I want to talk sort of how this all relates to the fan uh, and also the bands and the people on stage with what's going on now, how, you know, we, we need to be social distancing. So we're, I would think eventually most people are going to get it and we're going to get used to social distancing and we're going to get used to talking to each other from opposite sides of the street instead of standing next to each other and shaking hands. So as we get used to this, the venues, will they need to be retrofitted? Do you think for a while they'll, they'll need to be some seats blocked off so people aren't sitting? I saw right before, right as this was starting um, in February, my wife, my, one of my daughters and me went to see To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. And I'll tell you, we were sardines, you know, in, in a can. And you had uh, people climbing over us and, you know, and you had, uh, I remember when this also started, one of the people in New York who was spreading this um, was a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A seat person. What do you call those people who lead you to your seat at a show? Usher. Yeah. And uh, an usher um, had it. And you don't know how many, you know, people they were. And there were lots of people coughing that night. And that was the last time we were like really in a confined space like that. Um, so I would think it'd be difficult for people uh, to want to go into those seats. And I know, um, Sean, you sort of alluded to that a while ago. Then you also have bands who you have the NBA stop because you have 10 people on a court bumping into each other and they're sweating and they're physical. And that's what bands are like when they're on stage too. So how do the bands get over this? How do the venues get over this? How do the fans get over this so we can eventually get back to it? What do you guys think? Well, one of the first things that we did um, as soon as we found out that this was a real thing was I purchased a hundred, you know, these, a hundred of these big size. You couldn't get hand sanitizer. So I got this, which is hand, body, body and hand sanitizer. It's actually made for <clears throat> wrestlers and athletes. So I had a lead on that and I bought a hundred bottles and we immediately shipped this out to our bands <clears throat> not knowing that everything was going to cancel like completely. And we just wanted to make sure that it had something with them at all times that, you know, and, and then we canceled meet and greets right away. And then I also got in touch with some of my, um, my uh, venues that we work with. And um, I set up for them to purchase um, standing hand sanitizer stations. A lot of them didn't have enough or didn't have them at all. And so that was the first move where we were trying to do something like that we thought was going to be proactive and, and, you know, that ended like quickly. 
by the yeah. time we sent out that we sent the stuff out by the time the bands got it the tours were canceled um but moving forward it, it is going to take everybody you know everybody needs to be responsible for themselves if you don't feel good you shouldn't be going to a show uh one of the things that's a little off track but i do want to bring up is one of the things that bothers me right now is I don't think that younger people are getting this because they're like, Oh, well, it's, it's affecting older people. And they don't, they're not putting a real human face on that. And, and, and when we're young, when we're, you know, in our teens and twenties and sometimes even into our thirties for, for certain people, we're a little more selfish. You kind of have to be that way, right? That's the way the world is. And as we get older, we learn that we have to help each other out. And that's not to say that younger people aren't doing their part and doing a great job they are but a lot like on my road here which i live out in the middle of nowhere on a farm but i see packs of 10 and 15 kids riding their bikes together and walking together and you know it's it, and and even like if you saw florida was still having spring break and they interviewed some of the kids and the kids were kind of like this is really affecting our spring break which you know i get you know i i was there at one time and that's like your whole world is the next thing that's happening um, but I do think we all have to be responsible, right? So if you're sick and we do get back, when we get back to your shows, don't come to the show. Um, we'll make sure that refunds are given to people that are sick for us personally. Um, if, um, you know, you're going to a show, you should have hand sanitizer with you. You should kind of be carrying that all the time. You know, you can just do your hands before you sit down. If you, you can bring a small thing of wipes. You can wipe your area down, whatever you want to do. But I think we all have to be responsible. And I think the theaters have to be responsible. And I think uh, as far as the bands go, um, there's not much you could do there because they're going to be riding in a van together and be on top of each other. And it's just a matter of everybody doing the very best they can. Um, and if somebody in the band's sick, they should wear a mask. And moving forward, uh, I hope this has given us all, uh, you know, a little bit more, you know, a little, I, I hope that we all are a little more hygienic, like washing yeah. your hands more often and covering your mouth, putting your, you know, your cough into your sleeve, whatever you got to do. But like, it's really, it's, it, it, I was saying last night that, you know, there's people that young kids, 17, 18, 19 years off that, that go off to war and, you know, get shot at. And, and get killed. Um, this is not that. This is not the horror of war. This is something that we can all do. Stay in your house. Um, and when they say to come out, be smart about how you come out. It's, it's not, we're not talking about anything that's difficult. And in this environment, everybody gets to be a hero. Everybody gets to be a hero every day by doing the right things. Just do it. Just take care of each other. If you're 20 years old and you know that if even if you get this virus, um, you're going to probably live through it and you'll be okay. Will your, will your parents, will your grandparents, you got to think about the people that are around you. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's really, we all, we all have to be responsible in this thing. Yeah. I mean, just to generalize that, it's like, okay, I have food in my fridge a roof over my house the weather's starting to get nice we can still go outside take a walk go for a hike things could be worse like so we can't fly across the country right now or go out to eat or go to the beach or go to the city or whatever but things could be worse um so i think we all have to take that into account too but i just wanted to circle back as far as i think the first part of your question it was in reference to ticket holders so when this all first went down and South by Southwest started canceling, there was a bunch of comments on their Facebook thread of people just, you know, complaining about refunds. And they're saying they're not giving refunds. They're only credit crediting us to the event next year. This is BS, blah, blah, blah. And um, I would just like to point out one of our clients up in New Hampshire, uh, we do a lot of shows with Tupelo Music Hall. Um, and the owner came out and did a really nice, like, televised interview that ended up going viral on Facebook. But it was a really good inside look, I think, for ticket holders to understand 
what venues were going through in terms of refunds. Um, you know, ultimately refunds would be the collapse of the music business. People would have to shut their doors if we started giving refunds. We run on such razor thin margins in this business. It's like the money that venues are getting from ticket holders for one show is going out on deposits for future shows. So the second we start giving refunds, all of that, you know, goes away. So the message was essentially, if you can't make the new date that we're rescheduling, just hold on to your ticket. Come see another show at our theater. You know, we will honor your ticket. We'll give you a credit, whatever the case may be. But, you know, please understand our position that like, if you love coming to our venue to see a show, just know that your $40 or $60 or whatever it was that you spent with us could be the difference to us being able to stay open, you know, in the future. So I think it was a necessary video because people immediately just said, well, how is this affecting me? I want my money back. I want my hundred dollars. You know, if there's no show, this is, this is not right. But in the grand scheme of things and looking at the bigger picture, it's like, you know, you were okay with not having that $80 or whatever it was at that time. So just be okay with the fact that, you know, live music is going to come back. You're going to be able to go out again, but in the meantime, just sit tight, you know? So I thought it was good because, you know, people immediately just go to wanting to complain, wanting to say, you know, bad things, but you have to understand the, the other side of things. So it was good to kind of, to share that inside perspective. And I think probably one thing the typical fan doesn't think about is the venue is making some money from the sale of the ticket, but by those people not actually physically going into the venue, they're not buying a Coke or they're not buying any of the sessions, any of the yeah. software. Well, you mentioned razor thin margins. That's where they're making their money. Correct. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Right. I mean, like the, oftentimes that's the only profit, you know, the shows are break even and they serve, uh, you know, alcohol and food and snacks uh, before the show. And most shows, they require us to do a 20 minute uh, break in between two sets as opposed to going right through because they need that 20 minutes to sell the three or $4,000 worth of uh, alcohol that they might sell to make it profitable and you know what most theaters are profitable anyway most of them get grants and get money and and you know barely hang in there um it's definitely uh, a service to the community in a lot of ways you know it brings people together yeah and then um one thing that you, you did mention earlier sean that you guys do also have a merch business so in terms of you guys getting hurt from as agents getting a percentage of the uh show that isn't happening, that you're losing out, then um, there's also merch that you guys are making for, for whomever, wherever, and that's not happening either. So it's sort of- Well, yeah. Business. What, yes? No, what I was gonna say is you're right. And I don't want anybody to think I'm crying because I'm not. I'm very fortunate. I started my first company, the merch company 25 years ago, and we still have that. Um, all of us at Blue Raven are very fortunate. Um, and we, we own another company called fly on the wall concerts where we're actually, um, the producer of shows. So we take all the risk and we had five shows cancel. And that first weekend that just were making us pretty decent money, you know, and it went from making us decent money to us losing all of all the advertising money because we already paid for like five thousand dollars worth of advertising right and we already rented the theater right so we're, we're, that's a hard cost and all the extra ex other expenses that go with it were all gone mm -hmm. now everybody could come back and say well we want a full refund which you know what people aren't doing that they're fantastic they're just saying hold hold our money um a few people have asked for refunds and we, we've given it to them but um yeah, I mean, we have three businesses that are at a dead standstill. Um, but I was saying this to you before when we were off the air. My drama is no more than somebody who is just struggling with trying to figure out how to make a health, uh, health insurance payment or how to pay their rent, you know? It's the same. We, we have our, we're all stressed out in this. We all, nobody's any more important than anybody else. 
And um, this virus affects Democrats, Republicans. Um, it doesn't, it, it's not discriminating. So um, it really does give you a little bit of insight as to how much we have in common in, a, in an era when everybody's concentrating on how different we are. And are you looking then at that $2 trillion uh, stimulus package and looking at what are the parts that we're going to be to apply to, uh, that we will be able to apply to so that we can get some relief. Is there, have you been reading the articles and seeing what will help you in that? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 I've been down this road before, like I say, I've had $150,000 a loan before and, and that's what this is going to be. It's going to be a loan. There's not going to be any, like, here's some money to offset the, the losses that you have. I understand that if you get an SBA loan, part of it that you use towards salaries, if you keep people employed, will potentially uh, be forgiven. Uh, but I, I, it's not really totally clear yet. Um, what is clear is that the bulk of the money will go to, you know, big corporations and banks. Um, and then they will loan the money and make interest off of it and will we'll get a loan from them. So it's, you know, we may be able to, you know, small businesses may be able to hold on with, uh, you know, with a loan, but it's the big businesses that will once again profit, uh, profit from the whole situation. Um, and that's, that's the American way. That's the American <laughs> dream. Um, our politicians, I don't want to get crazy here, but our politicians are bought and paid for by big corporations and that's who really runs the country and they make most of the decisions. So, um, say la vie. Yeah. So, uh, you, you haven't been able, you haven't had to lay anybody off yet so far. You've been able to No. are you furloughing anybody? We, we, we laid everybody off. Oh, you did? Yeah. Rachel okay. and I are the business right now. Everybody else is laid off so that they can go and, um, you know, get, get unemployment. And then what I'm going to do personally is any of my workers that need to make their mortgage or need to, um, and can't do it on whatever they're making, I'm going to gift them money out of my personal account. Um, it's a personal gift from me, which is completely legal. Which, which is illegal or legal? It's legal. legal. It's legal. I can give money away to anybody I want to. So as long as it's my money and that's what I'm going to do. Um, so everybody is going to, everybody that's was employed by Blue Raven will be back with us when this is over. That's our goal. Um, nobody has, uh, you know, a, a crystal ball. So we can't, you know, just know for sure how long this is going to go. But our, you know, game plan is, you know, we're working on the next three months without any income and then we're going to go from there. Yep. Right. All right. Well, I think that's uh, pretty good. I think we've got, is there any final words either one of you guys wanted to bring up about what's going on and what people should know about a yeah. business like yours or the live business? I think one area that we didn't touch on is uh, creative ways that people are, well, musicians, creative ways, or people in the music industry, creative ways that they are trying to stimulate some type of income to hold them over. Because some musicians we work with have day jobs. Other musicians live gig to gig. Um, most musicians probably live, live gig to gig. And this doesn't just extend from the touring musicians, but you know, all the crew, the sound engineers, the bus drivers, you know, there's so many people intertwined into this that are now out of work for you know the foreseeable foreseeable future indefinitely um i'm sure you've been seeing a lot of these virtual concerts uh where people it's like a virtual tip jar those have been pretty interesting to me um one thing that we're doing is blue raven specifically is going to throw up some merchandise and we're trying to come up with some uh like kickstarter packages that involve you know, t-shirts and stickers and free tickets to a show. So if you donate, you know, 75, 150, we're going to have different price points, different packages for what exactly it, it involves. But um, people are looking for ways to help, you know, the whole idea of buying a gift certificate to a local restaurant, you know, just to try and help, you know, you can't dine there right now, but once things get back up and running, you know, it's, you can go, you can go. Um, but at least they'll have the money in the meantime, you know, to try and 
we're all trying to think of ways to bridge the gap. How do we get ourselves from point A to point B and hope that we're all still in business by the time that this thing uh, kicks back into gear, so. Right, okay. Well, as Sean said at the beginning, it will come back at some point, you know, so it's uh, looking at the clock and it's doing everything we can now, like you said, being creative and just doing what we need to do to make things happen. Yep. So great. So thank you both for appearing on Music Biz 101 and more. Yes. And I appreciate thank you. Hey, for thanks for having us. We really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, the opportunity yeah. to come on and just. Uh, thank you so yeah. much to Dr. Marconi for his insight yeah. and for being really here We did today. have a lot of really good things to say today. So thank you. Couldn't have done it without him. Yeah. Um, as Stephen Marconi, even though he wasn't asking questions, I feel like he was sending us questions. It's his presence. His presence is overwhelming yeah. for me. Yeah. I just I just feel him in the room, you know. Yeah, this is one of the best jobs he ever did on this show. Yeah, that's it's was mo at least for me the most compelling interview we've had with him. So thank you for Pretty that. much. Yeah, just his preparation uh, yeah. into this Correct. particular one. And um, just you could tell he brought he brought his A game. He wasn't fooling Crazy. around. Crazy like a doomsday prepper, he's so good. Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly what he's like. So and I'm Professor David Kirk Philp. At the end of every show, do you guys know what we say? We don't say hello. You know what we say? We say. Stay with me. Adios! Adios! Like a siren, she'll lead ya, and her beauty is deeper. These words